Well, here we are, uh, the Dot Matrix uh, episode. I had to look this up. Seventy-one. It's uh, Justin, Michelle, and Sean. Uh, do you want to guess when the episode seventy was recorded? No, you. you just- <laughs> You saw the piece of paper. You okay, Sean, you have to guess. Yeah, Sean. Uh, ooh, I'm going to say 2020. No, you, 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 you think very low of us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is, it was February 13, 2021. So okay. we are almost a year from that. Um, and for those, uh, of you listening, Michelle and I are together, which is why you can see my chicken scratch on here. And then Sean's zooming in from, I'll just say it, another part of the lower mainland in Vancouver. I won't make a joke. Yes. You know, which I just do since you've moved far, far away from us. Um, but yes, I, I looked a little bit at the preview of the description and it was talking about, oh, you know, the pandemic has changed so much and, uh, since it started. I'm like, and now it's an almost here a year out and here we are still. <laughs> here we are again, continuing. But we're not going to get into that today. We're, and, we are, uh, uh, and for those of you who are avid listeners, which is maybe three of you maybe, <laughs> um, who listen to our rants and raves and contemplations of all things, politics, life, whatever. Uh, we're going to stay away from all of those topics. Uh, uh, and we got it out of our system for over an hour before that we've started to press record, um, <laughs> talking about uh, the trucker convoy, which we won't uh, get into. Um, and of course, the, the pandemic. We are focusing our theme. Does someone want to... S- Sean, why don't you tell us what our... Tell the audience what our theme is today. <laughs> Uh, our theme is the Peter Jackson docuseries, Get Back, uh, which is, as most people probably have seen, which is about the Beatles and the making of their album, which became Let It Be. And uh, so, yeah, it's, uh, that's, that's our topic that the three of us will touch on. And because we've all seen it, right? And yes, uh yes. We've all seen it the whole way through, and it premiered on American Thanksgiving this past November, 2021. And uh, so we thought we would, uh, you know, dig in and, and see what we all thought and get our different perspectives. And did, when it came out, did you stream it right away, like literally midnight or when it was released? Because it came out <laughs> over two days or something, right? Like it was one up, I don't know, I, I, it wasn't released all at once, right? It, it took a few days for it to come out. Like, did you watch it right? It was, we, we watched it over the holidays, holidays right? Yeah. And uh, really yeah. also from your recommendation, you're like, you got to see this. And, uh, uh, but you saw it pretty quickly, right? I did. So yeah, I came out, I believe the first day was the 25th. So the Thursday would be actual Thanksgiving day. Uh, as soon as work was done, uh, we had dinner and then we sat on the couch and we put it on. So not, not at midnight, but, uh, of, of that day, but no, um, as soon as we could get the other obligations out, uh, finished for the day and just totally hone in. So that's what we did. And then I, 
the, the second uh, three-part series, the second started the next day and the third uh, started uh, the day after that. So, and then after that, all three episodes were there for, for anyone want to just, they wanted to watch all eight hours, then they could. <laughs> and before we dive in, actually, one thing we just saw just yesterday, right? We were watching Australian Open Tennis and they had this, uh, I guess there's like, they said, get back. The rooftop concert is coming out on theaters. Yeah. Like, do you know much about what that is about? We had never heard of that. I do. So, <clears throat> because the roof, uh, it's going to be one IMAX performance uh, showing rather oh, okay. uh, on the Sunday, the 30th, because January 30th, 30th, 1969, was when they were on the rooftop in in the film. Is oh. that's when that performance took place. So because they had such positive feedback about the docu series and the fact that it climaxes with the uh, rooftop um, performance at the end of that month. Um, even though the next day they went in and recorded proper versions of a few songs. Uh, but the main idea was it was supposed to climax with a performance of some kind. And even though it's only 40 minutes long, they thought, well, no, this is something that with the sound and the beautiful restored picture, this is something we should broadcast on a huge screen. I, I, I would like to see it. I don't know, even know if it's happening, in, you know, in, uh, in Vancouver, IMAX or not, but, and, I don't even know what's going on with movie theaters and COVID these days, but I would love to see it myself. Just being such a fan, I, I would definitely see that in a heartbeat, but I believe it's just a one, one night thing. Okay. But they're also going to be streaming just the rooftop concert as it's standalone oh. uh, event as well. Cause a lot of people, they didn't know much about the film. Let it be that was released in 1970, then they know about the rooftop concert, you know, because mm. it was obviously the highlight of that film and so much lore about it since in the last 50 plus years. Right. Well, if we take that s sentence and, and parlay that into the first question, and I know Michelle has said to me, there's so much stuff I've been thinking and reflecting about this, the documentary <laughs> that we've seen it. Uh, that I even shared with you. I'm saving it for the podcast. <laughs> wow. So, there's going to be a lot of Michelle content oh, here. Gosh, right I can't wait. But I I, I want to start with a, a question for you, Sean, because I think when this first came out, I don't know if you sent it to me or you messaged it in our, on our WhatsApp chat with uh, Simone or it was like something you posted on Facebook. But, but there's a phrase that I remember you saying, like, you know, I knew there was going to be footage. And there's going to be a lot of it that I wanted to see. And here it finally is. So I think about like your years of expectation and, and hunches that there was this massive amount of extra video that was recorded. And now to finally see it in the way it was all put together, like did it meet your expectations or what was, what was your thought? And then, you know, what was your experience in actually finally seeing it, your hunch coming to life? Good question. Oh man. 
it was beyond my expectations. I, uh, not only in the quality and how they decided to put this project together based on all this footage that they had available to them, seeing, seeing as much as, as they did, you know, I, I heard Peter Jackson say in an interview that his first cut was actually 18 hours long. That doesn't surprise me. You know, so yeah. that doesn't surprise me from a man who took a really short 200 plus page book called The Hobbit and made three movies out of it. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, but I was literally blown away. I was so captivated by what I was seeing, not only because of the potential of what we would witness, but knowing that there was so much there that had not been seen in a substantive way. And by that, I mean, a lot of footage has leaked out over the years that has been really poor quality. Like you can see a lot of, uh, pre-docu-series footage of Let It Be in all kinds of stuff on YouTube, for example. But it's it's just so poor that it just doesn't make for a very engaging experience. When you see it fully restored and with the sounds and the conversations that were unearthed that really helped tell the story much, much better of what was really going on at that time and of course, you know, they fill it in a bit with context and and especially with that lead in to the series, which I thought was a really brilliant idea because I've been saying for a while that the the instinct is that it's to, to really decide to commit to watching this whole thing is really for the super fans. But if you're not a super fan and you want to jump in, which is a great thing as far as I'm concerned having that lead up at the very beginning really helps because it gives you context of where they came from mm-hmm. and how this idea for doing this project even started in the first place, you know? Mm-hmm. And so to answer your question, uh, I think, yeah, it, it completely exceeded expectations. There was things that I saw there during this film that um, I, I, I had no idea about like, and, you know, we can get into more examples of that as we go along, but, but yes, I, it was what I was waiting for and, um, and then some, so I was very pleased overall, mm. even, you know, if, if it was four hours, I would have been really pleased if it was a really concise two hours where they really went through the 60 hours of footage and thought these are the absolute best bits. I think I still would have been really pleased because it would have been more cohesive than what the original let it be film uh, was. And which I hadn't seen since I was in elementary school. (laughs) Well, I have to say like, that was one of our first reactions was that lead up was really helpful because I know, you know, Sean, I would classify you as a super fan. And I would say we're, we love, we like the Beatles and love the Beatles music, but we didn't know all the context. And so I think when they explained the journey and then they get into this, 
like the, the whole notion about like their manager who passed away, like even that fact made so much more mm-hmm. things later on, much more impactful. And you're like, Oh, that's why Paul is kind of the way he is and why he's trying to drive towards something. And, and some of the, that probably would have been in our perspective, a throwaway comment. We're so significant, you yes. know, uh, like, so like, you're right. Like we really picked up on that right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even as it was finishing, we're like, wow, that was a pretty solid summary of things that we had no idea that was going to really help us out. So like, uh, you know, when you mentioned that the first part, that was actually really something we noticed too. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but maybe to Michelle, something that you noticed that you never shared with me so far, uh, what are some of those things? I'm <laughs> putting on the spot. Um, Gosh, uh, well, I guess I'll just start with my overall sort of, re- I loved every minute of it. Like every single minute of it. I wish it was longer. Like I just, oh. I loved it. I You're just, waiting wow. for the director's cut that will come out like yes. 18 hours. <laughs> I, 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 I get Next year. Um, and two things kind of really stand out. Like in terms of on an emotional level, it just... Yeah got me and I and I'm I, I would like us to talk about that and how each of us kind of like react totally. to that because I felt so alive yes. watching this yeah. and afterwards like it touched me emotionally in a way that was was very powerful and I think part of it and I think there are a number of reasons. One is just to see the creativity, like, like people going in and creating the way that they were. And I think in the context in which we're living with the pandemic, where like things are just so toned down, yeah. I was just like, oh my God, like, like just, I was just so drawn to like, the, the the creativity that they would just go into the studio and you have George talking about, yeah, last night I was like, you know, watching this movie of like from like the 17, they were like depicting like a waltz from like the 1700s. And like, that gave me the idea for I, me, mine. And like, and, you know, and, um, yeah. and so just like, like seeing that was just like, um, it just touched me emotionally. Um, and, uh, and I think that it also just sort of, um, I was going to say something else and then I kind of lost the thread on, on that. Um, but the, 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 yeah, the, the creative process that we, that we saw, it's like watching it, realizing like just what you're seeing, like, like, like just the, the caliber of, of musician, yeah. musicianship, right. It's just, yeah. It's incredible. It's it's beautiful, um, and it's just yeah, like it actually uh, emotionally moves me. Like in addition to their music that moves me, it's just seeing that process play out was incredibly moving, and it gave me a sense of feeling alive, a sense of optimism, uh, an urge to want to like create. Yeah. Something. Yes. That I haven't felt in a while. Yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, I find it moving that you found that, that moving. <laughs> uh, really, honestly, I love hearing that. I love hearing how it impacts people. 
you know, because I'm always going on about the Beatles all the time, different people, different situations, circumstances. And sometimes it registers and sometimes it might not, but that's okay. Cause not everyone's going to be like yourself about things. You have to understand that people aren't going to feel it the same way or might not really grasp it the same way, or they have other things that make them feel that way. But to hear that you really dug into how creative they were mm-hmm. as musicians, as songwriters and so on, as people, just their natural creative instincts. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't, you know, with all the stuff we see online, like on YouTube or different things, you see a lot of people being creative, but when you, what you don't get is maybe how they arrived at that. Mm-hmm. And we're the flies on the wall seeing how they arrived at those things. Yes. And it's not always from a pleasant place, mm-hmm. you know? Um, yeah. I, I mean, I have tons of thoughts on that too, but uh, I thought maybe Justin, if you wanted to jump in on, on any of that first. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I, I was very, moved by it uh as well and I would say more for like I guess maybe I'm learning more about myself and that I I probably could have been an anthropologist in another life like just watching something and understanding how things happen but I I, and so for me it fed a lot of curiosity or fed I don't know if it's a curiosity that I I had a lot of but it helped fill a lot of blanks that I had because Mm -hmm. you know over the years you know like Sean, you'll tell me about stuff going on with the bands you're working on. And, and we've talked about some of the, well, I guess you could call it politics or just things that go on behind the scenes that you just never see uh, yeah. uh, when you're in the audience watching you perform or, you know, listening to the, the records that you produce and, and create, you know, and things like, oh yeah, we, we are going to pull up for a week over here and just make it happen. I'm like, oh, okay. I don't quite know what that means uh, and to like really see it and to see it from people who are already, you know, going in are like the best musicians ever to walk, you know, the earth. And then to realize that because like a lot of times when you, when you get little glimpses of move of music making, it's like a Hallmark movie because some leading person falls in love with them and they get so inspired with the leading other person that they write the song and then they become a country music star or so I don't know, right. you know, and, or, 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 you know, like you think about it, you have to be super, super inspired to write anything that's going to be a hit. Right. And then some of it is just like, so, so interesting how many different ways of something appears, right? Like yeah. from like, yeah, the, 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 they literally show the BBC, uh, TV guy listing of like whatever George Harrison was watching. And there was like two things back to back. And it was those two things back to back that he just happened to watch mm-hmm. and then created that. Right. And then like, you know, get back is clearly why they, you know, they decided to call the whole thing is because you had that whole bunch of footage where literally he's like, Oh, I gotta make something happen. And then literally it comes out of his ass and it's just like, and then you, but it's not just like comes out of his ass and within five minutes you've like, you've, it's there. It's like, you know, it's, a, it's a process, but yeah. And then it happens again later. And then he's using, you know, filler words, names of magazines to just make sure the rhythm goes, but the lyrics not there. And, and, I and, that. and yeah. so it, it, it filled a lot of holes of what that means. And it also reminded me like, right. 
it's also work. Like oh my I could God. see the analogy of like, oh, when I'm sitting in front of my computer for eight hours, typing emails, chipping away at a report, going back to it later, you know, taking a meeting or whatever, like, like it's literally analogous to that. And when, so anyone talks about being a full-time musician is not work or like, you know, home, home, being a homemaker is not work, right? Like you finally get a full glimpse of it and you're like, oh, and, and it, and it wasn't like there were musicians and they're fooling around during the day. And then they come in at midnight. I mean, they, that could have been fine too. They show that too. That's, that's another process. Right. But, but they're like starting with their coffee or their, sorry, their tea and then their jam and toast. And you're like, oh, okay. And they were really serious about it every day, you know? And you're like, that was, they were, that they were committing to that and that's their job and they were doing it. And you're like, okay. So I just, I, I, it, it made it feel like these gigantic superstars were like demystified, demystified and grounded. Yeah. And I'm like, it, it, in an admirable way, not yeah. in the, in, not in a, you know, uh, pulling back the curtain, seeing the wizard of Oz as some dude who's like, you know, just in a microphone, right? Like it's, it's not bad, but it's the exact opposite in a positive way. You're like, Oh, wow. Okay. I don't know. So that, that was my, my thought on it. Wow. There's so much good there too. I, I think it was interesting that you, there's a few things I, I'd like to touch upon. One is uh, obviously the emotion more about that. Cause I have some specific points where I felt uh, quite a lot of different emotions, but you touched on um, like the fact that like when musicians watch this, like people who've been in bands or working bands and, you know, and I've read people write about this too. It's like, wow, if, if that argument between Paul and George was the worst of it, like that is so minor mm-hmm. compared to a lot of situations people have been in trying to be creative as a team in a very specific environment, deadlines and so on, it can be really contentious at times. And I've been in so many of those situations. Mm. Mm. And I, but I, I, there's, there's a lot of good that comes out of that too, because it, it allows you to, it helps you grow in how you actually deal with other individuals and how to relate to them and how push and pull and, and realize what, what's really important and what you can do away with. And, and I've been in so many of those situations and it is so true about the work part of it. It's like, yes, there's magic that happens. It's almost like it floats on top of the work that happens down here. And then all of a sudden it just kind of gels at times and seeing that footage of him, of Paul McCartney coming up with get back on the spot, at least the skeleton of it um, was, I mean, I remember Elaine and I looking at each other, like what the hell are we witnessing right now? Like, (laughs) what is that? And he also did that, um, you know, he had a little bit more going into it, but he was doing that with Let It Be as well. Yes. And I knew that he had already been toying around with Let It Be prior to, uh, I mean, the song, prior to this 
these sessions because he first started riffing on it during the White Album uh, just a few months before. Um, and, and it was just very, very, very basic. But the, um, but the, the first couple of lyrics were there and a couple of chords, but not really beyond that. And here he is refining it. And, you know, he's talking to Mal, the roadie, the, the big guy with the glasses, right. That's been with them since pretty much the, almost the beginning when they became a, a, a touring unit um, in the very early days. And he's, the great thing is watching Paul McCartney bounce off words yes. with him in lyrics. I just thought, wow, can yes. you imagine? Like the Beatles really had loyalty towards the few, the very few that were always around them. You know, there was the four of them, but then there was like a handful that were just beyond that inner ring. And when you see that, you're just like, wow, that is so cool. Because only they, those four could appreciate what they had been through to its fullest extent. But they, they did have a few guys around them that they could be themselves around, you know? Mm. And so there's that part of it. And I think that, yeah, it is work. And when you're running over a song, like dozens of times and then when you get to all of a sudden that point where you're like oh that's it like you realize why it's worth it you know and sometimes there's going to be arguments and sometimes a lot of times it's happy accidents a lot of times you figure out things from the mistakes you think you're making mm -hmm. but it actually can bring up something you know so and in relation to that the musicianship Mm -hmm. I don't think people really realize a lot of the time it's like they were amazing musicians. And in particular, Paul McCartney is, yeah. it was, and still is an incredible musician. I think he eclipsed the other three. I would say that uh, when it came to natural ability, um, the other three obviously had amazing aspects to their musicianship, but when, when, when it comes to creating a song, uh, keeping them like the mind open to possibilities, I think, and, and actually being able to execute. And not only that, you see where it works against him too. Like, which is where that argument came out with, uh, happened with George Harrison because they're, he's trying to get George to do that guitar line. And I've got a feeling it's like near, 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 you know, which is a really kind of, you're like, well, that's just one line, but it was, it just figured so prominently in the song that he's like, well, like this, you know, like that. And where he becomes, he comes across as kind of domineering or bossy or whatever. And that's been the idea that people have had about Paul McCartney about those later Beatle years, that he was like that since their manager died, for example. Like, those are the things. But now you can see with this film why it was probably necessary. Mm. Because 
when Paul, when Ringo now says, oh, Paul was the prime motivator. It's like he, he admits nowadays we may not have made that many records had it not been for Paul and his drive. That to me is incredible. Yeah. Because he saw the potential in his bandmates, but he also realized that he has this ability to just create at a moment's notice, like we saw with Get Back, and try to, you know, push the project forward and, and realize, you know, we have a job to do here. Um, the one thing I found distracting was how often John Lennon, who's typically, I feel, is my favorite Beatle if I had to pick one, but he was so juvenile all of the time. It was so funny you say that. I was just it was like the personas of each comes off so strongly in this film. Yeah. And, you know, I don't, I, I don't know what his, you know, public persona is, but my personal understanding of, of John is really much informed by the later post Beatles years, you know, the, uh, the advocacy, the imagine. And, and I always, my thought was, oh, he's probably the serious one. I mean, he was totally the jokester through yeah. all of it. But at the same time, he was also like the other part of the persona that I, I totally didn't, uh, I had a different understanding was like, you know, oh, well, you know, Yoko broke up the Beatles, blah, blah, blah. But, but part of that is like, oh, well, John uh, wasn't really part of keeping them. He was, he was kind of one foot out the door. That's right. And he was like literally the bridger. Like he was the, the connecting between what happened with Paul, uh, with Paul and George and that conversation that was yes. recorded with the in the cafeteria. Yes. And you're like, oh, so John is like kind of the glue. And part of the humor was probably part of what made him the glue. Yes. Because Paul Correct. was driving in the way he needed to drive in that way. Like it like he was, was like the relief. Yeah, yeah. It flipped my whole like again, not being a total, you know, a student of the Beatles, but that was such a turning on its head for me in, in terms of the personas. Mm-hmm. No, that, and that canteen cafeteria, whatever, hearing that, I think it was the most important part of the whole film, I think. Yeah. Aside from the rooftop or whatever, but when it comes to telling the story, hearing that, which I wasn't aware of. I was going to say, was that a surprise to you? Like you hadn't really heard that that was a rumor that that, that, that kind of audio existed. Uh, the fact that he's saying to Paul, like you were doing that to him on Hey Jude, mm-hmm. which is another in the Beatles lore. That's another kind of famous example because during Hey Jude, when Paul was working that, that was only a few months before that was during the white album. He was, when they were rehearsing through the song, he would go, Hey Jude. And then George would go near, near on the guitar and he was doing a guitar line after every lyric. And Paul was like, no, 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 I, I don't want any guitar here. That's not working. That it's just, you know, so, you know, George didn't end up doing very much work like guitar playing on that song. There's bits here and there, but so he was harking back to a, an incident just a few months ago saying, you know, you were, you were, he's like, and he, the great thing was John was so honest which I'm so glad you brought this up because he was saying, and I've done it too. Yeah. You, both of us have done that to him over the years and he's just tired of it. 
you know, like he, he's the type of musician and there's a lot of musicians like that where he's like, I can't have someone sit there and just show, tell me how they think I should do it. Mm-hmm. I need the time to just try to figure out how I play this part of the song or how do I contribute to this song? So I'm, that's a, like, that was a huge moment in the movie, but on to you, Michelle. Oh, well, I was going to add in like, you know, around the, the, the creative process, like, you know, it just really like from, from an educator's perspective, right? Like it was just really cool to see like, like that inaction and that reminder that, right. Like our, our, our cognitive process is an, a deeply social one, right? Like, 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 yeah, like that, that's like fundamentally how we work as people, how we learn, how we create anything, right? It is always, it is fundamentally social. And so to see like that, um, like the, the, um, I'm blanking on the name, but the person like, like when they were, uh, when they were, Paul was working with um, one of the, the person who you were saying was the, the groupie, um, I forgot the name. Oh, Mel? Yes, thank you. Mel Evans. Yeah, um, yeah they were working on the words for the long and winding road, right? And he's like, no, change, you know, you left me standing, waiting there to standing there in this line, you right. know? Like, like, and you realize, like, like that is just such, I love that song. And we've talked about that, that, that song on our WhatsApp chain. But like, like, that is a really significant part, you know? And to see like all of that go, what happens in the, the background, right? I think was yeah. incredibly um, cool to see because on one hand, it's like th- there's this incredible talent, right? That, that we've all talked about in musicianship that they have. However, they're also people who work best when they are in a collaborative environment and they get to bounce ideas off of one another. You know, so there was that really cool, for me, it was really cool to see that, like, I know the talent of the people that I'm seeing, but also the way that they're going about it is just so um, familiar and kind of like every day. It was really cool to see. It was an example of what you don't hear people say is a good combination, which is being driven at the same time being a not perfectionist. And you saw that all the time because I think there was a yes. confidence in Paul, like you said, like he was, he's clearly gifted and, uh, but he is not afraid. And I would imagine if you have a, a collective process in any song making, like you have to start to show the music before it's like the finished product. Yeah. Right. I mean, yes. Uh, anything you create. Right. And, but you know, so I guess that's the nature of some of this anyways, but like, when, but if you're like clearly one of like the most gifted people, uh, musicians that ever was, but still show that you're open to hearing the swapping of the word should be yeah. done this way or, yeah. you know, oh, I'm just going to, I need to keep moving forward. It's not the right word, yeah. but I'll put it there until I figure out what the word is. Yes. Uh, like to me, and I'll do it confidently without flinching. Like, I think it's an example that I think, a lot of people could watch and kind of go, Oh, right. I don't have to hold things close to my chest until they're completely perfect. Or uh, I don't need to get my way the entire time. Um, I mean, part of what was the the conflict with George was kind of like that, but, but like, you know, but there's other instances where you can be like, Oh, okay. I, I can receive feedback, but it needs to also, but it can't be anyone, right. It has to be like, 
you said that just that just outer circle, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that next layer circle, and yes. it's, and the messenger is also important, right? You know, and uh, the, the the safety of who's in that safe space is important. So yeah. And it was just so cool to see the role of all of those people, as well as uh, what's the name of the um, the producer? Well, there was uh, there was George Martin. George Martin. Yeah, like, and, and I know you probably know a lot more because uh, you're familiar with the Beatles, and and I'm curious, like the the recognition you know that he gets. I assume it's quite a bit, um, but like even someone like like that, right. To kind of like, even give them feedback, like once they had recorded something and then they're listening to it. Right. And he's saying, Oh no, like we should add this or, Oh, you should tone this down. Like, like, it's just all of the people that are involved in that process. Like I, 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 um, that was just incredible to see. And it was, a uh, for me, it was, I, I got a sense of like, like it demystified and hopefully other people that watch this documentary see that like on one hand, like, yeah, there is the greatness of the Beatles, but, but also it's not instrument. Like, I don't know. Like, I, I, I don't really know. I know what you um, mean. Yeah. yeah. Like, like it's also possible to like, um, to be creative in that way as well. Like there's a bit of, um, at least for me, I, 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 that's kind of what I picked up on, um, as well, uh, just around the creative process part of it. Um, the other thing too, I wanted to pick up on was, um, when you both were talking about like just the, the group dynamics, you know, like what really moved me emotionally is like, in particular seeing John and Paul. Yeah. Like, I don't know, like, 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 and again, I don't know a lot of the, 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 about the Beatles and what's been said around, you know, if they got along, if they didn't get along, you know, that dynamic, but like, so me just kind of going in and seeing this, like, I, I see like, they just looked like really good friends and creative partners that just got each other. You know, like they didn't yeah. have to explain too much. The other knew kind of what the other person was doing. And I think they all generally had that as a group. But I picked up on something in particular between John and Paul. And I'm curious if if either one of you did as well. Um, and they seemed to, I saw them as generally, yeah, they had the, there was an the issue with George and there were issues there. But I also saw them getting on quite well. Like I didn't see yes. it as like a yes. bad like that they were in a bad place during yeah. this documentary. So it was also, because I haven't seen the initial, uh, the like, I guess, original get back where it kind of, I guess, painted an inaccurate picture. Uh, but like, I saw them like, wow, like these guys are, are, are great. Like, like there, there's, there's, there's tension there, but, but I think that they're going to be okay. I don't know. Mm-hmm. is how I felt at the end. hundred uh, percent. I think you, you could pick that up between John and Paul in particular, just because they had, I think also that longer history of the way they contributed to each other's songs or even just fully co-wrote songs. Mm. Um, and and I, I think that was notable, even with all the distractions. And I think another important part that I, I was uh, really pleasantly surprised about is um, 
you know, when John and Yoko hadn't arrived at the, uh, I think it was after George left and John and Yoko were late getting to Twickenham, the film studio, mm-hmm. before they had moved to Apple Studio. Um, and, you know, they're all sitting around in chairs and Paul and Ringo and the other people involved. And, and he's like, you know, they started talking about how the fact that Yoko's always there, you know, which, ha- which started during the White Album. But it was just kind of this unspoken thing. And here she's just always by his side. And, and he's kind of telling everybody in the room, like Paul, who, you know, probably could have had a, a less mature viewpoint on it, especially the fact that only, like, none of them were 30 at the time. Only John and Ringo were 29 in 1969. Oh. So there's, we ought to think about that, too. Yeah, they haven't even wow. hit their 30s yet, and they've almost sailed through all of the Beatles' career. You know what I'm saying? Oh. So that's that's something that people don't realize either. But yeah. um, he said, you know, they want to be together. And so if she's going to be there, then we just kind of just have to learn to deal with that. And, you know, he's still here with us, but they, they want to be together. And if that's, he's basically saying like, do we still want him here? Or do we just say the hell with you? You know, if we, if you can't, if you can't be separated, then we don't want you, you know, like he was basically like, this is, they are two uh, instead of one and one, like they're, they are a unit now. So mm-hmm. for, he's basically saying the, the quicker we get on board with that, the easier it will become. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just thought again, you know, he could have just taken that opportunity when they weren't there to be like, this is bullshit. Why does she have to be around all the time? You know, like she's just always there. Like it's getting super distracting because they never had, uh, and you know, it will sound maybe sexist, but for the time, like they never had women in the studio. Very rarely did a woman come in the studio. You know, they rarely had other people in the studio as it was like, sometimes the Rolling Stones would come by or, you know, Eric Clapton appeared on While My Guitar Gently Weeps, but they, ne- it was, it wasn't until the White Album or later when, you know, Linda was there, Paul's soon to be wife. Mm-hmm. Yoko was there all the time. You saw Patty Harrison come in uh, once or twice during the, the, during the series. So, and then, you know, Ringo's wife was on the rooftop. So it's kind of like, those were new things for them at the time because they had been so insulated, right? Mm-hmm. And so cocooned in their own, you know, them and George Martin and the engineers was pretty much it. Um, I, th- I think too, like, you don't see George Martin a whole lot in this film because I think his role during this whole process was a bit ambiguous at the time. Um, because they had Glenn Johns, which was a much younger, like he, he was kind of like the most rock star looking person. Like, right. Yes. You know, yes. He's behind the board, he's got these weird sunglasses and weird tassels and all this kind of shit, you know, <laughs> he ended up being 
like shortly after that, like he was recording Led Zeppelin and other bands, I think the Stones as well, like on classic recordings. So like he, he became one of the all time producers in his own right. And, but here he is brought on this project uh, to help with this while they were filming because he had to make sure that they were capturing everything. Right. Um, in, in the end, if I recall, like, a lot of the, t- the time pressure was because they had to work when he was available and he had to like fly out or something on a certain day and they needed to get this done while he was still there, I think, if I recall, right? That, was that like, yeah. yeah. And Ringo had to film oh, a right. movie. Filming something, that's right. <laughs> yeah, and that, which is why Peter Sellers came by. Oh yeah, that was so random. I'm like, oh, okay, Peter Sellers, fine. Because that's I mean, the, the next month they were filming The Magic Christian. Right. which I haven't seen, but, you know, so it's kind of like they, the, the, the guy who was doing that film said, well, we're shooting it at Twickenham. Why don't you do your thing in Twickenham the month before finish, then we'll start our movie with Ringo when you're done. And that's part of the reason why they were up against this crazy deadline that everyone was like, I don't know if this is even going to happen, but yeah, there's so many things about it. I think the emotional part for me, um, just in a, in a few places, I think one of them was seeing them in such like such incredible footage restored, just pristine and seen. And I've seen a lot of people react to this in the same way online. Um, we're seeing how they really were as people mm-hmm. like, you know, th- they're not, like they are in interviews. They're not like they are on the stage. They are just people like the toast and tea every morning. is like toast and tea, toast and tea and how they are with each other. I thought was one of the most emotional things about it. The fact that after George left, the other three of them had like a group hug and stuff like that didn't look put on for the camera. Like I love how nothing they did except for the times that John might turn to the camera and just make a goofy face or something, say something funny, which of course he was incredibly witty person. He was gifted in his wittiness and and his quick mindedness. Um, They largely just didn't give a fuck and they just talked about what they wanted and they did what they wanted because they're like, well, look where they are in their career too. Right? Like they kind of knew like, all these people around us are here because of us. So we're just going to do what we do. And I think that was really apparent. Um, But seeing how they are with each other, we didn't get a lot of that in the original film, except for that Paul George argument, which was just something that everyone zeroed in on. But man, that was one argument on one day out of like 25 days or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And the other emotional experience where I was almost in tears was when, and I talked to Kevin about it and he, he felt the same way. I think when the rooftop scene started and they're running through get back by the second time they do it, cause they did it twice in a row and then they did, you know, don't let me down other songs. They're really starting to roll. Like they're really finally Mm-hmm. finally after all these rehearsals and all this time trying to write these songs and come up with the best arrangements and figure out where everyone fits into it finally they're they're playing like a band you know they're 
it seems like in their minds, everything else has fallen away and they are playing like they used to play on stage and not just in stadiums. I mean, like before, probably it was probably closer to how they played maybe in Hamburg or the clubs in Liverpool before, or maybe the early shows when they hit the international stage, they were, they, you could feel the chemistry. You could feel the fun they were having and they were rocking. Like they were seriously rocking. Mm -hmm. Um, That I found moving because it was bittersweet because I thought, wow, if they had only just seized on that, realize what they still had uh, and their connection as a unit, as a, a live playing unit, who knows what, what the future could have held. Yeah. But when you think about that and then that's, but that's only 40 minutes on a stage and it took so much to get to that, you know? So I think, it just shows that, yeah, they ended up reconvening and playing Abbey, uh, making Abbey Road later in the year, and then, then they broke up the year after, and then finally that film was released. You see that it wasn't going to happen, you know, and that was the bittersweet part of it. They had this moment in time on the stage where they forgot oh, about everything else and just rocked, yeah. and it was just like that I found the most moving thing in the whole film. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, you know, for, for, I, I kind of go back to your original, one of your original things about sort of the setup and how they did sort of the, the, the beginning summary uh, to get everyone else who might not be as fully immersed in the, in the Beatles on board. I mean, uh, I didn't get to the same place you did watching that, but, but it, because of the, 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 the beginning intro, like you got a sense of uh, the importance of going back to live. Right. Yeah. And, and so that was helpful uh, to get to, you know, probably, you know, half of the emotional reaction that you would have and others who might really kind of can get to the full context and kind of go get, uh, but there was something about the live that they were always driving towards, right? And and and, and you can see it throughout the whole, the whole three episodes. So so I, I kind of get um, that connection to the live piece. But the other side that I thought was good, it was you, yeah, you were saying about how much it took to get there, yeah, and how it that's a nice kind of like reminder for everyone who just works hard that as gifted as the Beatles are that happened those 40 minutes happened because 25 days yeah happened every day to get to that yeah yeah and i think that's important to see right you know oh totally totally yeah you know the other part too is like um i as i was you know watching this thinking like there's been a number of times like growing up you know my dad would say like um because he grew up uh in the, in the sixties and, you know, fifties and sixties and, and was in high school in the early seventies and was just like, you know, he would say like every, every week, every day, there's a new song that comes out. Like there was just this explosion in like music and creativity in like the sixties. And, um, and he's like, I, I, at the time I didn't realize kind of the moment I was living in and kind of how lucky I, I, I was, 
um, to, to live during this time in music history. And when yeah. he would tell me that as a kid, I'd be like, okay, this is your old music day. You know, like I kind of like didn't, you know, um, but now that, um, and, and that's to say that I've always like, liked, uh, uh, the music of, of that time. It's not that I didn't. And I, I very much feel like I grew up on that, but, um, and I'm generally not one to, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of sometimes roll my eyes at the whole, like our generation and, you know, and the younger kids and this and that, and we had, a, you know, we, this was better in our day and, and that kind of thing. And I, I try not to like fall into that. But there was a bittersweetness that I, 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 I felt watching it because on the one hand, it's like the, the, this creativity that you're seeing and, and just it's, it's the Beatles. And then there was a sadness of like, but that's 50 years ago. And I can't think of a band right now that meets that level. And there is a bit of sadness that I felt and, um, and I think my dad is totally right. <laughs> and I think we find ourselves like buying the records of that time. And um, I don't know, I, I think, um, not to say that there's not great music that's being made now, um, but it's definitely more, you get a lot more of the same or similar sounding music and songs. Yeah, It was just incredible how the Beatles were able to make albums where every song is a good song. You, you don't skip over certain songs and every song sounds different. Yeah. Like, yeah. and that's, I know, really hard to do. Like whether you're like, if you're writing something, it's easy to fall into kind of a pattern in a way of writing, whether art, like, like it's very easy to kind of fall into patterns. And, and it seemed that they, that they didn't, do that at least uh that's my uh, I, again not having being super studious of the Beatles but that's what appears to me um so there was also that that emotional component of feeling um bittersweet and kind of at the end a little sad that like man like I I I, I wish that I don't know our yeah that we had right now a, a band that we could kind of point to like that so I don't know if, if either of you kind of felt a little bit of 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 sadness on that or if you agree with what I'm saying around just the sort of yeah Ooh. that's that's a really tough one I think I totally see what your dad has said and, and it's hard to disagree with any of that I think that because of the prolificness of artists out there, um, con there seems to be a really big excuse me, emphasis on content mm -hmm. over maybe quality sometimes. But it was kind of like that though, back then too. I mean, when you think of, uh, for the almost their whole career, every album, they excuse me, every year they came out with two albums and a couple of singles, at least, mm -hmm. that didn't appear on the albums. Mm -hmm. So um, they were always, you know, if they didn't come out with something new every few months, the, the thought was, oh, well, they'd be forgotten about, you know? Mm. And, and that was a big, that was a big uh, issue that they were dealing with when they stopped touring. And they ended up making Sgt. Pepper because, you know, they stopped in August 66 and then they were recording, 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 recording. 
uh, and Pepper didn't come out till June the next year. And during that time, that was a huge gap, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they put out Strawberry Fields, Penny Lane. So they put out a single. But uh, I, the reason why I bring all that up is because I think today there, I think there does exist artists. And I'm always reticent to use the word artists. I think that's an overused term. Hmm. Sorry, ignore that sound. Um, I'm going to get rid of that. Um, you can cut that out in editing. Yeah. <laughs> um, sorry. Uh, I, uh, I was saying that, like, I think there's a lot of bands, if we're talking about bands, that have that level of creativity and artistic talent. I think it's just it's so wide open now that compared to, you know, there's only so many groups on the radio back in the day or so many records that released per year, but now it's like tenfold. Right. So there's so much more to choose from. And I think, so finding, finding those bands that you could maybe compare uh, in a relative fashion with a band like the Beatles, it does become hard to kind of actually think of one. Mm-hmm. Um, I there's a lot of bands from you know that came after the Beatles that I think hit such amazing artistic heights that that is probably along the same lines. Except I think the difference is, is because when the Beatles were doing it, like you say, coming out with especially by the time they got to Rubber Soul Revolver, it's like every song was like this masterpiece. <laughs> And so different from each other, they were one of the few bands who were capable of that. Mm-hmm. But also one of the few bands that were given that time and, say, studio environment to do sure. that. Sure, sure. You know, um, the fact that they were That's able to use a studio like Abbey Road and not only is it them, but, you know, George Martin, who was always who had a big part in, in harnessing that creativity, getting it out of them, having them try different things, being able to take an idea they had that they couldn't really vocally, verbally rather, convey. It's like, how do we do that? And he'll say, oh, okay, well, this is how we can do that. So, and the engineers were doing amazing new techniques that had never been done before, using the studio in ways that haven't been done. So. It, I think it was right place, right time in the right kind of fusion of different abilities that it's gave birth point. to all of that. And now, because all those things have been done, finding new ways to come up with those creative high level endeavors is, is, is probably harder to do. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, how many new ways can we find to do things? So I think if an artist or musician has an emotional context to what they do, that's what grabs people probably more than anything, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, Those are great points. Yeah. I was gonna say, like we, we, you and I talked a little bit about how, like one of the things that we were thinking about is like, yes, you have the rooftop concert that came at the end of 25 days of purely working to get there. And how much of a gift that is to have, to be a full-time musician, to have 25 days 
in a row with mm-hmm. all of the gifted people around you. Yeah. And, and, you know, of course you, you are, you have found the ability before that to show your gifts to then create those other albums that allow you to get to a place where people will yeah. invest 25 days and all that sort of stuff. But like how, how hard must it be to have, uh, you know, some or as much talent, but you're working, you know, the bar um, uh, five nights a week and you're doing maybe bagging groceries at another, you know, yeah. or you have an office job or, you know, like, sure. like the part-time musician to be able to invest that time and That's to right. channel their, inner, their talents in that way. Um, like, you know, that, that's, and then the, we live in a world where it's even more aggressive where, you know, like, uh, it costs so much to live and, and, uh, yeah. salaries are so squeezed and, you know, all those different things that capitalism has structured and our society in, like, it makes it even harder to squeeze in that musicianship and creativity. Right. And so, yeah. and that's, that right there is something that I can absolutely speak to because anytime that I've made music with bands in studios or however we've done it. It's, it's always either after work or on the weekend or, or maybe there was time that we had off that we just devoted to doing that. Like, Mm -hmm. um, like I remember I took days off for the last mode modern record, I took some days off because I was needing to do drums for a bunch of songs. And it's better if I just take that week so I can really sink into it. And when you get to that place where you are firing on cylinders, uh, not only for yourself, but with others, it is quite, it is quite an amazing feeling. And it's hard to really describe because you're, you are letting all those other obligations fall away and you're just honing into, you know, you're spending hours talking about how that guitar should sound like things like that, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, which is an incredible privilege, I think, um, to be able to do that and find ways to make that a reality Mm-hmm. And when you're there, there's almost nothing like it. Like, and, and when you've completed a song and you're listening to it back and you're like, wow, that was after, you know, days of trying to wrangle this thing, figure out the best arrangement, making sure that everyone's happy with it, you know, like on and on and on. There's so many pieces and parts that go into doing that it's even at our level here, it, it is quite an impact where you think, oh, wow, like you start having visions of what would it be like if, if I was in that situation where I didn't have the day job and I could just go to the studio every day and, and, and you know, dick around, <laughs> yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. like, and, and do some really cool stuff, but also just meander, like. Yeah. Well, no, and I just want to add on, like, I completely agree. I com- agree with both of you. And it kind of speaks to even the other point we were making earlier around, like, the, the, the social, like, the interaction that is inherently, like, 
that creativity and all that we do is rooted in like it's it's I mean like yeah there's a part of it that like you know say Paul McCartney is, is a skill as a musician but it's not like it's like something in here that is like determined like that is like biologically determined like there's so much around environment right and all the factors that oh yeah creating the the conditions to allow someone like a Paul McCartney to to exist right and yeah. and a lot of people that don't have that and so like I I completely get what you both are saying and I think partly what I was maybe speaking to was like more like just kind of the music that I see that is promoted right now. Like, like, so not like, like, and I don't know if I'm, I'm explaining it in the right way, but like, and, and I guess I can't like, I guess without naming like particular names and then, uh, dissing people. Yeah. And I don't want to like (laughs) artists, you know, but like, we are unfiltered here. Um, the sort of like, you know, the the pop kind of like, like, I don't know, to me, like the sort of um, like what's really in now, like a lot of the sort of like um, electronic, like, like the voice is like, there's like a, this electronic kind of sound over the voice. And then it's like the, the beats and okay, I'm explaining this very poorly, I know, <laughs> but it's like the kind of music that is like, that are the hits now. And then the, 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 the music that's get, that gets produced now, kind of to me, a lot of it sounds the same. Yeah. And so I guess what I was trying to say a few minutes ago is not so much that I don't think that people, uh, I should clarify. It's not that I don't think that people as talented, like the caliber of the Beatles, it's not that I don't think that they exist today. Like, of course they right. they're probably like, mm-hmm. They're, they're like you were saying the conditions like we're talking about, right? Like there's a lot of them out there that just aren't able to do uh, and have the supports to be creative. But I, I guess I was, I'm thinking more of the, I guess the music industry or kind of what gets, what type of music gets, uh, becomes top hits now to me, they're kind of, it's all a lot of them sound the same and it doesn't move me in the same way that like, it doesn't matter how many times I hear Penny Lane every single time that song, just like, I just will never, I don't think I'll ever get sick of hearing it. Right. Right. Does it, does it make yeah, sense? I kind of say, yeah, there's a few things I, I think, you know, what you're saying is I think there, the, 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 at least when we talk about the music industry, it's a lot of other cultural industries. There, there are still, processes and and people who are trying to taste make you right like right oh yeah we're we're going to curate what we think is the best hit and one those people are i think there's three things to it one those people are getting more and more out of touch with the public because the public is way different than it used to be 30 40 50 years ago when they're all craving to have a common thing that they can grapple to and love together on mass where we we're in a world where you know like you think about like you know well your niece is very young but my niece is a little bit older like they're all like looking for a much more diverse just world and they don't want to be told what they like and so one things that things don't elevate to the top and the things that the tastemakers think they elevate to the top is completely out of where people want it to be um it, it is you know um 
you know, two things. And I forget what the third thing I was going to say, but anyways, I said they were sweet, but there's only two maybe uh, to that. So I, 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 I totally, um, and then so that that environment doesn't allow for like the gifted artists that are out there of the caliber of the Beatles to find their way. And then, and I just don't think the world is, I mean, unless the world goes back to some dominant cult, everyone wants a dominant culture. Yeah. I mean, everything I'm hearing is people don't want a dominant culture. There's diversity in the globe and most countries are no longer monocultures. They're, they're, they're quite more diverse and, and there's never going to be a place where something will get as much common uh, taste uh, agreed upon. This is good because people don't want that anymore. I don't think, um, so, I, you know, there's yeah. those combinations all together, but I think you're right. Like the people serving it up are like, see, see, and you're like, uh, no, we don't see. Actually. Oh my God. That, that just hit the nail on the head. I, I, I agree with all of that. And I, um, what you're saying, Michelle, about the pop hits and stuff. I, I've been kind of referring to that recently, you know, amongst myself and Elaine, like, as like the non-song. <laughs> the non-song? Yeah, because sometimes like if I put on Scandinavian radio. Scandinavian jazz, is that what you mean? Sorry? Pardon me? Scandinavian jazz, that's what you mean by a non-song? <laughs> well, you know, and that's the thing. It's, it's someone's non-song is going to be a, a, a really important, profound hit to someone else, right? How, and I acknowledge that, but... It's like, you know, I'll, I'll turn on the radio or whatever in the car, or I'll see something on Spotify that's just heavily promoted or whatever, a new release. And I, I'll, I'll sometimes just listen. I'm like, I hear, I hear instruments, I hear singing, but I'm not <laughs> sure I hear a song, you know? And of course, well, how do you define song? There, yeah. So there's... There's obviously a lot of manufacturedness to a lot of music that gets put out today. Um, it's kind of, I mean, it's been like that to a certain degree for many decades. Um, but I've been reading actually recently, I think there was an article that can't remember what publication it was. Uh, was it? I don't think it was Rolling Stone, but it was, it was an article about how when it comes to streams and music that's still being purchased, it's bands from the past, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like 20 to one. Mm-hmm. And not only for older people, like older, that used to be like fifties and up, like you were buying old music, but it's younger, younger people. people. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I think that's kind of the spirit of what, of my, my initial comment a few minutes ago, like, like yeah. that, like that dynamic, yeah. right? And like, like that, there is something to yeah. that, and, um, and, yeah, like, like I, and I think, I mean, that that aligns with like even our all of us here, our purchasing habits. Like, I mean, whenever we go record shopping, I mean, now because <laughs> now labels like like everything gets released in records because vinyls are like back in now or you know whatnot. But like, we always go to. Like, I don't have, when was the last time we bought something made? I mean, well, if we do, there'll be people like Sharon Jones or Brittany Howard or, or, you know, like, like people whose style kind of harkens back, right. To the music of that time. Right. Right. So 
The only yeah. thing he knew was kind of, I think, was the beat Lizzo, who's amazing. But uh, he got that one too. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I think about like, and you know, um, like all the like the corporate and like this is where capitalism is like agreeing with us because all the the those like venture capitalist people who are trying to buy uh, recording rights or mm-hmm. rights, you know, they're all like I think it was an article that I read too that they're all buying trying to buy like old 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 uh, catalogs like old catalogs yeah. because those are the ones that are going to have guaranteed revenue through streaming yes and newer right and so i think that's kind of uh to the point and um and i'm thinking maybe you know i want to make one more point maybe we make one more round of points each and then maybe wrap it up because i'm assuming we're getting into like over an hour of our podcast and i'm sure people are are you know holding on to every word we're saying <laughs> i'm so good at like keeping us on track tonight i i must say like <laughs> well i was good um but one thing i wanted to say was what as and looping back to yoko ono is yeah. uh your thought around sort of being you know when you're a part-time musician and there's all these competing interests right and and how to be able to focus is really important uh, and when you get to and to focus to get to that groove that is that is unexplainable and i think about when paul you were saying that paul was saying and he was saying about yoko and and john i i can only imagine that's actually part of the realistic calculus that he's making where like like you're saying clearly john and yoko want to be together they are a unit and why would you fight that and create a mm-hmm competing interest for john right because in the end yoko sitting there we saw it for three installments of this docuseries sometimes she didn't she, do nothing no, she, you know? she sometimes she paints sometimes she does the freak out sessions right right yeah. but she never did it while sitting next to john and they were trying to record get back and then she didn't do that right like no she didn't no. like paint on john's face calligraphy as they're like she literally <laughs> did nothing yeah. to disrupt yeah. anything right and so like if they had that experience with the white album they're like paul's like what's the problem here mm-hmm. like yeah. you might be all a little bit uncomfortable because partners and women weren't in the studio but literally why would we force someone who's come to a part in their career where there can be a full-time focused musician and this has come into his orb this person to be and they want it like why would you then create this disconnect for no reason you know hey, can i add on a question yes here? uh and i it may have put up a can of worms but sorry if it does but like because i don't understand the entire context around the yoko like so this whole narrative that yoko was responsible in some way for the beatles breakup like was it from an out of context, like, was it from that conversation when they were talking and like, uh, Paul said something like, Oh, like, and I think I, I took it as like, he was kind of joking, like, Oh, something like, uh, the Beatles broke up because Yoko sat on an amp or something like that, like that, like, was that then in the initial, uh, movie and then taken out of context. And then that's kind of how this whole narrative formed or like what, do you know anything around just kind of how this idea of this connection between Yoko and then Beatles breaking up got connected? Cause um, yeah, I mean, what you are saying, like, I mean, jokes aside, like it's true. Like she just went there and like, kind of like 
did nothing and just was around. And then Linda was there, you know, like we mentioned a few minutes ago. And so it's not like she was the only uh, partner that was there, but she definitely was there the most and the longest. Um, But yeah, I'm just curious, like what's the context around that whole narrative? Yeah. I think that, I think it was based on a lot of attitudes at the time that had perpetuated over the decades and, and actually by the public public uh um even the beatles themselves like i believe it's true that um i think john lennon said later on that george came up to him george harrison came up to him uh i don't know if it was during the way down but it was around that time when Yoko was just all of a sudden there all the time and said, you know, I heard she wasn't really a great artist, you know, from people I know in New York, like where she was based out of and stuff. And where John was like so offended and angry at him for saying something like that. Mm. Um, I think that the Beatles, you know, had, it took them some time to get to the understanding that, and and Ringo talks about it in um, in the anthology because I think God context is is so much because when you think of um, prior to Let It Be that whole previous year making of the White Album not only that John was sponsoring art shows that she did he was also starting to collaborate in with her in public art exhibitions. They had recorded two uh, so-called solo albums together. On one of them, they appeared on the cover naked. So that was all happening all around that same time. And the press, especially, and you know how nasty the British press can be. Mm. They're like, who is this woman taking our Beatle John away? from just being the beetle that we know and love, the mop top, and hip, basically hypnotizing him, steering him away from just making great Beatles records and, and so on. Um, oh, that's a whole lot of misogyny and racism. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's... <laughs> like, wow. Okay, I didn't, didn't really... There is um, footage of two months before they started Let It Be, they were arrested for pot possession because um, there was a cop that was planting drugs in rock musicians' houses. And that's a whole other story you got to look up. But um, when there's news footage of when they were being uh, arrested, like led away from the premises and, or going to court or whatever it was that, you know, some some British lady was like, Cynthia's better than her, you know, like alluding to his previous wife that he just divorced. Um, and yes, he committed adultery. Like, mm-hmm. you know, so they're looking at that. They're seeing the naked album cover, the, all these experimental music that they're doing together. And so they're trying to make sense of this relationship, the public, the press, and the other Beatles. And knowing that she's always there in the studio. And yes, there was the racist aspect of it. I mean, let's, let's face it, mm-hmm. you know, um, the, the, we're talking about the, you know, decades ago, 
Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, probably a good portion of white Britons were probably racist, <laughs> you know, at, to some degree, like who knows, but, um, they were like, well, who is this Japanese lady, you know, doing with her, you know, her Beetle John. Um, uh, and, and not only that, she, she came from a very uh, conceptual kind of progressive kind of art world too. Like she wasn't just like someone who painted paintings and hung them in museums. She, she came from a very experimental uh, modern avant-garde kind of world that no the average person didn't understand that either mm-hmm. and and john dove deep into that and and that was freeing to him and a whole new world to him and um so anyway i think and and um so i think people think that she was the one that um uh, you know when you talk justin you talk about john had his one foot out the door I think that was for many reasons. I don't think it's untrue that Yoko was part of that, but but I, I but to to say that she single handedly broke up the band, I think is yeah is 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 really false. And I and it's yeah. so true about what this docu series has shown. It's like she is literally part of the furniture this whole that whole time. <laughs> Except for when George leaves and then she just, you know, starts, you know, they have this one jam where yeah. she's like doing her thing in a microphone. That one. I think time. that's totally respectful. Like she did yeah. like, like there was an opportunity. There was a, you know, it yeah. probably we didn't see how she got there, but I'm sure there's some invitation and she took it, you know, or whatever. Right. Like it was totally not disruptive of anything for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought about that too. Like the only time she did it is when there was totally an opportunity to. So, you know, yeah. Uh, but so I, I so go ahead. Well, I, I don't know if that answered your question, but yeah, no, that's that's yeah, definitely that's that's really helpful to to see to just have that extra context. Yeah. Do you have a final point to make or more final thought? Because I, my my Yoko thought was my last one, so I don't know if you have a thought. <laughs> about it, you know the question that you had there, but. No other than just like, this is making me want to watch it again. <laughs> I know. You know? We have Australian um, Open semifinals to watch though, but we'll, we'll get back to get back. <laughs> yeah. Pun intended. Like, I think it's kind of something if I'm feeling like I'm kind of in a little bit of a, like, I need some creative inspiration, like just to mm. feel creative. Like I could see myself going back to, to watch this. Nice. Um, yeah, so that's kind of like my final point that I'll leave with. I uh, I'll just say that yeah, for me, it just harking back to the, probably one of the first points we made. I think it was such a profound thing, um, and I think through modern technology, the way they're able to really sort, even just sort through the footage and try to piece together what was really give you a better sense of what was going on. They were having more fun than not. They were yeah. coming up with new songs that not only were on Let It Be, but later were on Abbey Road and some songs that became solo songs for each of them later. And when you think of this wealth of mm-hmm. musical material that they worked on is, is breathtaking. And I love how they put those little subtitles of what the song was. 
Um, yeah. And they also said, oh, this is the take that ended up on the album. Like that, I just thought was perfect, you know, icing uh, that they yeah. talked on it, you know. And it, for me, it was a long wait of like 30 years of wanting to see something like this because... Mm-hmm just being a fan for this long since I was like around 10 or something, this, uh, and, um, listening to music more times than I can probably understand. Um, and just to have that much more context and that much just more available to us. I, I just, I was just so into it. And I, I, I like you, I think will watch it again because I will probably see and hear things that I may have missed because there's only so much the brain can encounter in a two and a half hour episode of something, no matter what it is or how much you're enjoying it. So yeah, I think that's why I'll, I'll definitely be watching it again and just kind of, I've had some time away from it now. I've had about two months away from it. <laughs> so yeah, I would suggest if, even if you're not like a huge fan, if you like the songs, if you like that era and you want to see how people interact with each other, how people are, can be extraordinarily creative, I think it's worth watching for anybody. That's my final point. So two thumbs up. I don't know, are we allowed to legally say that? I guess there are three thumbs up. <laughs> yes. three, three, three thumbs up because that's not a, that's not a Siskel and Ebert thing. No, that's right. If we all, if we keep saying three thumbs up, I don't think we can be uh, liable for anything. <laughs> so why don't you close us out, Sean? Okay. Well, uh, that was a great chat and um, so great to connect, although virtually, because I know I'm in the, way out in the country here. But uh, <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, thanks to all the listeners, uh, those few that, uh, listen every time and hopefully, uh, they, they, some, they know who they are. Hopefully gave them some thoughts to ponder and Kev, Vanessa, and maybe one other random person. Tara, maybe. maybe. Right, Tara, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Simone, if she's feeling supportive at the time. <laughs> yes. Yes. Hopefully Simone will dig this episode because we talk a lot about creativity and music and uh so yeah hopefully that will be nice for her um and yeah so that was the dot matrix uh january 2022 and where where can we find ourselves jess in our podcast uh well you know a lot of people i mean there's so many different streaming services or like podcast services but we're we're basically and only done the job once which is on apple so fine if you're on apple podcast you can find us there or the dot matrix.com you can stream our episodes live uh or like stream all the episodes on the site so on demand on demand yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right well thanks and we'll talk soon it was so great to see and talk to you guys yeah thanks everyone for listening all right we'll talk to you later